Hello everyone. My name is Dr. Alexandra Bastian. I'm an anesthesiologist practicing in the Bronx and today I'm pulling up at the Wolf and the Unicorn and basically we discussed an awful lot about medicine and specifically about coronavirus and the vaccinations and answered some questions and had a whole host of fun. This is the place to be. Welcome to the Wolf and the Unicorn. Yaddy, what's up? Hey. <laughs> How you doing today? Doing all right. I'm okay. <laughs> we got a very special guest today. Yes, Dr. We do. Alexandra Bastian. Welcome to the Wolf and Unicorn Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you tell our listeners and viewers a little bit about yourself, uh, including what you're working on today? Okay. My name is Alexandra Bastian, and I'm a practicing anesthesiologist in the Bronx, unfortunately one of the second highest hit areas of COVID back in the day in the spring, and um, pretty much hollering out at you from that area. I live in Westchester, um, and I have two children, adult age, and uh, married to an obstetrician, and um, here to just party up in the Wolf and the Unicorn podcast. <laughs> we appreciate you coming through today. Um, and how did you get into being an anesthesiologist? Like, it seems like a very difficult thing to accomplish. Like, how did you get started, even decide you want to do that, let alone get started doing it? Well, for a while, ever since I was young, I wanted to go into medicine. So not necessarily anesthesiology. My, my dream was to become a trauma surgeon. And I actually started off after medical school to do that. But then I met my hubby and got married and, <laughs> you know, and had my first little one. And it's a challenge to be a woman and be a surgeon because that's a very challenging thing to do. So my colleagues in surgery um, introduced me to anesthesiologists. And so once I discovered what they did, I thought, wow, that's a pretty intellectual kind of field and I'm kind of like a little bit of a nerd I'm told so here I am in, in that nerdy world of anesthesiology awesome oh but you know um and then after you decide anesthesiology like how do how do you like what's the training involved in actually becoming that besides getting your doctorate of course and you know uh, yeah. medical you know doctorate what do you actually okay. what's the training like because it's like right. the most precise you know, form of, of doctoring that I can think of, like, you know, getting the medications exactly and precisely right. Yeah, you know, basically, it's, it's, it seems daunting, the amount of years that people have to spend to be in training, but it actually goes by pretty quickly. Um, but it's four years of medical school, and then you do a year of residency, what we call an internship in either general surgery or medicine and then three years of anesthesiology training. And then beyond that, you can actually get a fellowship in a particular specialty of anesthesiology. And so um, what it is is that anesthesia as a practice is about getting patients through the perioperative process safely because most of the time people are not aware. It's not just putting you to sleep, but it's actually taking care of all your vitals, your heart, your brain, your kidneys, mm -hmm. your lungs. And so all the aspects of what keeps you really alive, we monitor that. And yes, medications have to be precise. And um, the goal is to get you through things safely and comfortably, whatever it is. And then right. there's aspects of anesthesia that has to do with 
outside of the operating room. So we have places like critical care anesthesiologists, you know, obstetrics anesthesiologists and pain management. A lot of people have mm -hmm. chronic pain issues. So anesthesiologists are often involved in that as well. Right, right. Awesome. And the uh, real topic we're, you know, jumping into today is, you know, it's all over the world for the last almost year now, COVID-19, uh, still damaging communities, still hurting people every day. Uh, I'm told you have a lot of information that you can share with us on that. Uh, what made you kind of lock in on COVID-19? You know, it's not directly, you know, anesthesiology, uh, but what kind of like wanted you, uh, gave you that want to focus on that and learn more about it and understand it? Well, COVID-19 hits all medical communities, as you can see, but way back in around January, we started to, in the anesthesia world, get information from our colleagues in China, our colleagues in um, South Korea and Italy, where they were being overwhelmed by a situation that they had encountered. So it's not unusual for physicians across the world to be in communication with each other. And so we started sharing what they were going through. And so the bell started ringing back then. And that got us alerted, especially in my community, to say something's coming our way. And it's coming our way in a big way. So mm -hmm. we started to look for ways in which we could participate, learn from what was happening. And um, anesthesiologists, because of the nature of what we do, we care for patients that are critically ill. And once they start to have an inability to breathe, along with the ER docs, which is usually the first person, the first line of defense against any medical issue, a person comes right. to the emergency acutely, then in addition to that, they'll face off with ICU docs and anesthesiologists because their airways become compromised and we participate in what we call airway management. Mm. So that's a natural process for anesthesiologists as well as nurse anesthetists who also practice you know, the, a form of airway management and other people like respiratory therapists who help manage the airway and manage a patient on the ventilator. So it was natural that as anesthesiologists, we would be in the leading forefront of combating this disease process. Right. Oh, wow. So how did your um, basically day-to-day -day kind of shift after this, this discovery of this virus going around? Like, did it completely change? Did you just continue to do what you were doing and take on this, you know, additional research on your own? Or was it just a complete shift of your, of your daily task at the hospital? Well, as physicians, we're, we naturally are physician scientists, so we're inquisitive. So it didn't take long for all of us to start to read up about the Corona Verde as a group of viruses and what the impact was, where did they come from, what exactly is the makeup of it, and how does it impact the human body, where does it enter, where's the line of defense. So we have always, as physicians, to have two parts to our practice. The one part is about patient care, so that's after somebody gets a disease. The other part is about prevention prior to the patient getting the disease. And so we often run in tandem with that, putting our scientist hats on to figure out how to prevent a process and putting on our clinician hat on, on taking care of a patient after they've gotten the process. So in, in, in terms of my day-to-day -day activities, um, initially because I personally have also, not only being an anesthesiologist, I have some pulmonary issues from having traveled to Haiti at the time of the earthquake to help. So I came back with a little bit of bronchitis. So I was mm. particularly susceptible. And so 
at that time period, I did a little bit more of a telemedicine anesthesiology. But, you know, pretty quickly, my hospital started to triage exactly what we were going to do, how many elective cases we would do, who would do COVID cases, who would do non-COVID cases, and eventually just a complete shutdown because of the governor, Governor Cuomo, very early on, decided that, you know what, it would be best to shut down all elective surgeries and concentrate on the patients that had COVID. So that allowed us to build capacity to take care of the majority of New Yorkers. And um, I think you saw a lot on the news about the tents, hospitals that were being produced. But it was very daunting, very, very real to us because although the rest of the world, you know, at that time was not experiencing anywhere near, I think in most of the states they hadn't even had a case, right. let alone, uh, you know, the kinds of things that were happening in New York. So it was very daunting for us because of the, the, the overwhelming amount of the population that was getting sick as well as the overwhelming amount that was um, requiring critical care needs. And also what follows is the overwhelming amount of deaths that we've seen, because definitely it was like a war zone. We, we, right. we don't naturally see, you know, death and dying that much in a hospital. Right, right. Uh, and I'm hearing there's a new strand coming along. Can, can you speak to that a little bit and uh, what it means when these things form new strands, these, these uh, viruses? Yeah, it's natural for um, viruses and other types of bacterial and viral entities, especially viruses, because they can mutate. And it has to do with the amount of proteins that are that they are made up of. And so the in this particular case, this virus is an RNA virus. And so it's made up of several, you know, like a, an awful lot of proteins. And about one to three of those proteins actually mutated and changed. And so by that, it made the infectivity rate, which we are calling the r not rate, the infectivity rate went really high so that it's able to jump from one person to another. And so we call it like uh, a host infectivity rate. And so by that being high, it doesn't mean that, you know, the kinds of treatments or the vaccines that are out there can't actually attack it. It just means that more people are likely to contract it. So we have to do the things that we are already doing even much more aggressively because it's so easy. So right. imagine just being in a room with somebody and you're more likely, and, and picture if your hand has ink on it. And before it might be that your hand had a light ink and you weren't really touching a lot of things. And now your hand has a lot of ink and everywhere you go, you're touching something, the glass that you're drinking, et cetera, and you're leaving that ink behind. So the ability for somebody else to, get ink in their hands has become higher. So that's what's happening with that, that variant. Do you, do you think, you know, the six feet, I mean, I've heard that number a lot. Is that really effective? I, I mean, I, I prefer 10 feet if I, if I can get it, but you know, uh, I don't know. Six feet doesn't seem like that far away. And I've seen these weird videos where they show like a thermal of a cough and it's like how it like spreads throughout the whole room when somebody coughs and they're not wearing a mask. Um, is six feet, like, have you seen in your experience enough? Well, you're, you're raising a good point. Six feet is about if things were controlled. If I wasn't coughing, and when I was talking with you, if I wasn't sneezing, if the air turbulence wasn't aggressively blowing your way. So if we are controlling everything, when we do talk normally, the droplets or the aerosol or the air around our mouths they get into the air and then they sort of swirl around and eventually start to drop as they go further away from the person's body. 
So if we can control for those measures, you're right, six feet would be adequate, but we can't really control for those measures. So that's why we say that if you are in a place where you're socializing with others, doing other things like wearing barrier precautions is important. We see that once you put the mask on and um, I can like, I, I can send your viewers or actually put, have you pull up a slide that I usually show where if the person coughs or sneezes or, or anything under the mask, everything stays under the mask. And so if I wore a mask and you wore a mask, you would keep all of that under your mask. I would right. keep it under my mask, at which point the, the six feet, then all okay. these other things are way effective, way right. effective, definitely. It's, the, it's along with washing of our hands, because remember the ink that I right. mentioned, because the thing is the entry point is in the mucous membranes like your mouth, your nose, your eyes. But if we wash our hands a lot, soap and water, then we're likely not to keep the ink in our hands so that we don't touch surfaces and they can live on surfaces for a certain period of time, depending on the surface. So right. between the masking, the washing of the hands, and also the six feet, the social distancing that we're talking about, if in actuality, we, we know for sure that if the majority of the population, I would say if 99% of the population did that, we would be seeing a very different thing. Many lives would be saved. Right, right. So masks do work, everybody, if, if you were wondering. Absolutely. If you're still wondering, still today. <laughs> I, I, yeah. You know, it's scary, but I've seen people questioning masks yeah. still to this point, uh, well, you know, even though we yeah. are where we are today. Uh, let's talk vaccines a little bit, um, maybe a lot of bit. Uh, there, you know, it's the big thing over the last couple of weeks. You know, we've got the Pfizer, we've got Moderna just came out uh, to a few, a few hospitals mm -hmm. now. Um should we be taking this vaccine? I know, you know, the government tells us, yes, a lot of people don't trust the government these days, especially over these last few years. Uh, you know, people feel betrayed here and there. Uh, should we trust this vaccine? Okay, um, that, that's a very good point. And I understand why people would be um, skeptical. And um, because in a lot of ways, this should have never been a government speak. This should have been the medical community on on television network networks like PBS or informational types of uh, processes, and so the medical community and the scientists should have been in the forefront, explaining a way of what the disease is, how does it get transmitted, and so we shouldn't have been caught in our country's political issues. So it's very important to put aside the politics and get concerned about a person's individual health. When I look across the country, it's because we're still engaged in ignoring the science and still engaged in these other things that our politicians and our, and our for whatever, you know, like people wanna speak about it. So mm -hmm. I urge everyone, because we do live in an information age. And so I urge everyone to seek out the information and seek out the science. It is not that difficult to do. The two things that I would do to get information is, first of all, each company, Pfizer and Moderna, they basically write articles on what they did. And um, everyone is entitled to read that. It might be a little geeky sciency, but at least it can tell you a little bit more about how they conducted their experiment. And then secondly, what the FDA did, you know, and also there's AstraZeneca and, and Navarax also is coming out with a vaccine. Um, but um, what the FDA did is because back in the spring, 
they also were being politicized by saying, oh, hydroxychloroquine, you know, that's right, good, right. et cetera. And then, it, it, and then weeks later, they had to retract that. Mm -hmm. So knowing that they were governed by, you know, we, we have a system of government where the CDC and the FDA has to respond to whoever's in the leadership in the government. So they have to follow certain types of directives and orders. But what they did in this case to, to rebuild confidence is they had a 23-member scientist panel that they got independent of themselves, the FDA. And they had that panel actually question the, um, the Pfizer and Moderna and Neverax and AstraZeneca about their study. That's right. available. It, I think it was conducted in C-SPAN um, for both Pfizer and Moderna, and it's available on YouTube. This is an interesting thing to look at. It's eight hours long. It's awfully long. <laughs> but you can watch how the scientists grill the, um, the vaccine makers mm -hmm. in what is really important science information. And through that, it gave us confidence to understand what exactly was being done, what were the true answers. And it's with that sense of knowledge that we tend to go out there and each person, each physician practices medicine as an independent practitioner. And it's, and it's with that information that I can speak to you on what my opinion is right, because right. I am practicing medicine when I actually speak. Mm -hmm. So that's why I'm able to give that informative opinion. Right, right. Uh, I keep hearing this 70% herd immunity number. How real is that? This is what's interesting. Um, herd immunity is defined by reaching a certain percentage of the population like polio. And 70% is usually the average number to achieve herd immunity. It's interesting that we're talking about herd immunity in relationship to this vaccine. I don't think that the two are coming hand in hand. What is happening right now, we don't have long-term data about this vaccine, about any of the mRNA vaccines or any of the vaccines coming out because the phase three trials only started back in late spring and summer. So we've only had months. I mean, like basically probably six months now of data coming in at us. So to discuss immunity would mean that we know how long it takes to become immune to a particular vaccine. So for instance, every year we get the flu vaccine, right? And so if we were immune and able to carry it over to the following year, every year we wouldn't need to get it. We would right. be immune. But also there's different variants that come out that make it required to get different types of vaccines. But what I'm mm -hmm. trying to say is different than polio, for instance, or what you get for hepatitis B, or, you yeah. know, and then you require a booster shot. So the length of time in which immunity is there, that still has yet to be seen. So we don't have that data. Right. We know that we're vaccinated. We know that the people that are being vaccinated so far are immune. But how long will those titers remain effective? That data is still out yet. So to discuss herd immunity for me at this point, it's really not data driven, but just a speculation, a good medical speculation, but speculation nonetheless. Right. Uh, and uh, this is a question from our Facebook group. Um, there are vaccines being worked on in Cuba. Uh, I think they're leading the way in the Caribbean and Latin America because, uh, I mean, they simply can't. I mean, we're buying all the vaccines in America and Europe. How, you know, how are they going to get vaccinated? You know, they're a little far off from completing their you know trials and making sure their vaccine is safe. But there's one, I believe, called Sovereign One and Two being worked on in Cuba. But 
how is it that they, you know, in, in countries that aren't rich like ours, how do they get their vaccines and, you know? Well, first, how do they create it? I think creativity and innovation is not something that's unique to the U.S. Mm-hmm. So um, there has been many a time in which the herbs and the, um, and, the, and the leaves of certain plants are found in other parts of the world, in the Caribbean and Africa, and they have been medicines in themselves. So I don't discount that there's ways to find medicines all over the world. So we're not unique to that. Cuba did start early on in the spring to work and start to discover that they might be well on the way. The problem is, is because of the isolationism and the um, resources, they're not able to conduct the phase three trials that are able to be conducted by the third world country, I mean, the, the more developed nations of the world like the U.S., and so Cuba has paired with China to start phase three trials on some of their vaccines. So that's promised there mm-hmm. and to see what, what, what comes out of it. Um, the thing is, you know, Operation Warp Speed did put, you know, an ability to, to, to get things out really fast because it's a, it's, it's a, we're still a capitalistic society. So we know that the first one to discover the cure for cancer is going to make, you know, like <laughs> right, a lot. Right. Certainly the first one to deal with the coronavirus is also going to benefit financially a tremendous lot. So this this race is not surprising. But then what we have to keep in mind is, again, it's about effectivity of what we're doing, side effects, and also long-term consequences, as well as long-term protection. So those are the four things that we really should keep our eye on, regardless of where the vaccines come from. Right. And I think that's the biggest fear in our community is the long term effects. Yeah. Um, I understand, you know, people over a certain age definitely should get it immediately. But, you know, I, people I've had conversations with my age and younger, are like, you know, I'm, you know, what if it's 20 years, you know, 10, you know, who knows, 10 years, something because of the vaccine. We don't we just don't understand enough about it to say 100 percent like they're saying now that it's good to go. Yes. That is a very, very good way of approaching it and thinking about it. For the youth, and I call that roughly 45 and under, roughly. For the youth that is healthy and do not have any other comorbid issues, such as, you know, and I'm speaking of, you know, uh, BMI, body mass index, overweight, obesity is not there, chronic kidney disease, um, smoking and diabetic, immune diseases, cancers, things like that. I mean, like a whole host of diseases. If you're, if you don't have any of these things and you are 45 and under, I, I understand. And I, and I, and I also know that there's no data about longevity and, and the seriousness of this comes with the fact that in about, I believe 1976, there was a vaccine that we had given back then. And a couple of years later, some of the folks developed Guillain-Barre, which is a neurological issue. Uh, not 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 a large percentage, but enough. And then, so if I if I match the youth with the incidence of them developing severe diseases, that is, if you caught it and you don't have a comorbid issue, and the likelihood of you getting a severe disease or dying from it is extremely low. So mm-hmm. that may that that may make folks actually say, "Well, let me not get the vaccine." That that. That is an appropriate approach, but it also means that you still don't want to take the risk. You still want to do 100% masking on social conditions and all these other things because 
you catching it, now you're the carrier. Mm -hmm. And now you're giving it to, and you don't live in isolation. You're giving it to your parents. You're giving it to other people around you that might have comorbid diseases. So the name of the game for 45 and under is not necessarily to, I'm, I'm not necessarily advocating the vaccine. I'm advocating that a modification of lifestyle because most of the scenes that I've seen with people not wearing a mask or, or not social distancing have been among the youth. So they might not realize that they're asymptomatic carriers amongst mm -hmm. our community. So there's a job to be done with that. So while I, I agree about thinking about the long-term consequences of vaccines and dealing with our next generation, I also think that this is the group that needs to be the most serious about the mitigation and the social distancing and 100% mask wearing under those conditions as well. Right. Um, are, I mean, are there any foods or things we should be doing daily, you know, vitamins, anything like that? I've heard people mention black seed oil or uh, there's a few, I don't know, people mention all type of things to me. I, I'd yeah. like to get a professional <laughs> opinion before I listen to one of my friends on what I should be taking to kind of, you know, strengthen against this virus. Well, you, you know what's amazing about your age group and the millennials or the gen, is it gen X's that follow, et cetera. Um, I'm not familiar with all the <laughs> monitors, but um, I am proud of the fact, I, I, I believe in letting you guys lead. And the reason I say that is I am proud by, of the fact that um, I came from a generation of, you know, we're talking about, about the fast food generation. And so obesity ran rampant, you mm -hmm. know, smoking generation. Okay. And the stress generation, meaning that, you know, we're, we're, we're highly stressed and, and we go for like, you know, type A personalities and all of that. And along, along comes you guys. And I'm proud of the fact that when you're discussing your diet, you're actually, no matter where you move to, whether it's flaxseed oil or turmeric or, or, or ginger, et cetera, you're moving to a healthier position mm -hmm. because yeah. of where we started. You know, oh, removing yeah. <laughs> going towards plant-based eating, going right. towards, uh, you know, th there's nothing you can do that's wrong from where we're starting. Okay. And so, <laughs> so that's a very good thing. Um, in order to build immunity, and to keep your immune system robust, you need to eat healthy and exercise. And certainly there are diets out there that actually do boost immunity, whether they are effective against the virus or not. Time will tell, but you know, the science points to the fact that if you're healthier and your immune system is robust, why would it not? Coronavirus, while it is novel and new, it still is part of the human ecosystem and the environment. So absolutely eating healthy and building the immune system with all the, you know, all the list of these things are definitely recommended. I would send you to, I would, like we have it on our website, which is the Westchester Bronx Society of Black Physicians, but um, his name is Dr. Mills. <coughs> he is a physician that actually talks about immune-based eating mm. and what one should do for it and the recommendations. And I'm sure there's a, a lot others out there but again, I want to underscore the fact that I'm so proud of you guys for just leading the <laughs> race. And that you, you lead, we follow. Right. And what was the website you mentioned? Uh, Westchester. Um, this is the yeah. This is the Westchester Bronx Society BP. I'm, I'm looking to see if I have uh, the uh, chat area that I could type it in for you, but it's uh, yeah. 
full word, Westchester Bronx Society, bp.com. That's blackphysicians.com. Okay. In there, we've opened up our website, and there's a lot of information in the education, the community area, um, and you'll find stuff about immunity and dieting correctly and all that. All right, yeah, we'll okay. definitely check it out. We'll put a link for it in, in all of our bios and descriptions for this podcast episode. So if you guys need any resources or anything like that, you can definitely check it out. Uh, Dr. Bashan, how can people reach you if, you know, they have a question for you or I, I don't see you active on social media, you know. Uh. <laughs> That's, true. That's true. I'm the last of the I, I happen to believe the aliens are going to come down and zap everybody. I'm going to be the only one alive. That's not connected. <laughs> so, it's going to be a lonely place to be. So I better get connected. Um, yeah, actually, we're going to begin a blog on vaccines and everything else, because um, so many people have asked. We, we, you know, we're speaking ad nauseum and we figured on that very website, we're just going to open up a blog and people can go there and post questions and chat with us. And there's about, I would say, 40 members of physicians. And if we don't have your answers, we will get you the answers. And so I think that's the best way to go about reaching me or my colleagues, because where I'm not an expert in one thing, like we have obstetricians, we have surgeons, we have we have folks across the board that's going to be able to answer questions that an anesthesiologist may not be necessarily privy to. Got it. Got awesome. It. So we have an exclusive, uh, you know, announcement for a blog. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. Drop in. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. Drop a big announcement. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, we appreciate you coming through on the podcast and teaching us, giving us some knowledge and um, you know, I'm, I'm sure our listeners are going to use some of this information. I can't wait to go check out your guys' websites uh, and, and learn even more. Um, so let's get into a couple of segments. Let's have a little fun. I know it was a little, you know, daunting conversation, everybody. And, you know, some, you know, COVID-19 is not a fun topic, but it's information that we do need. Um, so let's get into what you want to do. Uh, oh, oh, Dr. Ben, would you like to participate in shit I don't like? Uh, sure, sure. All right, all right, okay. <laughs> All right. So please, you know, give us anything you don't like. It could be something completely irrational. Mine usually are. Uh, it could be anything in the world that, you know, something that upset you or got you annoyed or anything along those lines. Let us know what you don't like. Wow. Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. <laughs> I like it real. I like it real. I like, you know, no matter how how crazy the words are, you know, you, you smell, you don't, you, you don't smell good, whatever it is, your breast stinks. I don't like hypocrisy. And so just give it to me straight. I don't like hypocrisy. <laughs> hypocrisy. I don't, I don't awesome. think, yeah, That's a good yeah, one. That is a good one. I actually, that covers a lot of things. It's a wide yeah. net there. And I totally agree. Yes. A lot of, especially on Twitter. I, you know, I'm, I'm trying not to get on Twitter too much, but every time I go on, it's just like, what you just tweeted something totally different last week and then this week it's like oh i'm a you know change person oh my this is my, you know, i understand people's opinions change but your whole structure in life shouldn't change over a couple of days and then change again no. over a couple what, what is that what is it it's craziness <laughs> <laughs> that's what it is <laughs> all right so we're gonna play we're gonna play a little game um 25 questions we're gonna ask you uh as many as you can get done in three minutes Oh boy. Uh, y- Yachty will ask you. 
Here's the questions here. So the timer will start as soon as Yadi finishes the first question. Are you ready? Remember, I'm close to all. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> all right, ready? Ready. If you could live anywhere besides New York, where would you live? Haiti. If you could be any animal in the world, what would it be and why? Lion, because I love the raw. What is your favorite color? Blue. Coffee or tea? Tea. Name a TV show that you binge. Housewives of Atlanta. Oh, oh my, my god, god, us too! <laughs> what scares you the most? Um, getting ill. Name something that you've tried that you will never try again. Reefa. <laughs> Name a book that you would recommend people read. Jurassic Park, not the film, the book. Name one thing you could never give up. Ooh. Um, SEX. <laughs> if you had to pick one superpower, what would it be? Um, uh, the power to cure. That's a good one. Describe your life using one word. Phenomenal. Name your biggest role model. My mom. If you had to be one cartoon character, who would it be? Cartoon character. Um, Black Panther. Nice. Favorite restaurant of all time? Uh, favorite restaurant? Can I skip? Yes. <laughs> What's the most useful thing that you own? Um, a Bible. What is the first thing you do? Uh, you would do if you won the lotto. Oh, go to the Caribbean. <laughs> what is your favorite season? Spring. What is your favorite thing to do when you're not working? Oh, read a good book. What's your favorite song right now? Um, uh, R E S P C T O P. What chore do you hate doing? Uh, washing dishes. Have you ever had a nickname and what was it? Yes, Damien, my father, named me Damien. If you had to pick one, uh, which which one of your five senses do you think you could live without? Um, smell. And what is the closest thing to magic? Magic? Singing. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> that is 25 questions with Dr. Bastion. <laughs> you did awesome. That was great. Um, I thought so I, I skipped one. Yeah, you, you skipped skip one. one. You I, we skip have one. more. Yeah, it's we fine. have more. <laughs> it was, if you want to answer, what was your favorite restaurant? Oh, boy. <laughs> it's a hard one. Half Moon. Half Moon. Where is that? It's in, um, it's in uh, Hastings on the Hudson. Ah, okay. I got to check that out. Put that up. I usually ask people because I try all the restaurants <laughs> that they actually tell me. And, yeah. uh, you know, I'm kind of a food junkie, so I like to get the best uh -huh. food I possibly can. 
<laughs> What's your favorite? Um, in terms of he has I, one for every like like <laughs> every, every category. Every category, there's a favorite <laughs> restaurant for it. <laughs> gotcha. Um, gotcha. so I mean, right now, I mean, I'm a I'm I'm very into brunch, um, and and seafood, but. I would say there's a place in a story called Astoria Seafood. Uh, oh my best, gosh! Go some of the there. best seafood I ever had. You actually pick the food with your hands, seafood. and <gasps> they, yeah, they cook it for you right there. So it's actually pretty cool. It's amazing. So. <laughs> I'm, going, I'm going when they have indoor dining. That right, is right, yes. Right. Or when it gets a little warmer, we can eat outside yes. or something. But it, I, 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 speaking of uh, dining, have you seen these? Uh, Outdoor, indoor. Outdoor. They built these crazy buildings outside now, and they're calling it outdoor dining. I mean, what yes. is that? I just don't understand. It's crazy. What it? It's just. I guess they're trying to keep these restaurants alive. They're all closing. Um, my daughter is opening up a juice and salad bar, and she's also going to do a little bit of the outdoor roping in that area. It's, it's the craziest thing to see, but. You know, unfortunately, um, for those that are strictly indoor dining prior to the pandemic, mm-hmm. 70% of the restaurants closed right. and about right. 50% of them are closing permanently. So it's a real, it's a real struggle for them. So when you see those outdoor things, it's a way of them being alive even. I get you know. it, but it just doesn't feel anywhere near safe at all. It doesn't feel like <laughs> outdoor dining. <laughs> no, it's not the same. No. <laughs> All right, so we'll get into our last segment before we wrap up this pod. We will give Dr. Bastian the mic, and she can give us some inspiration, some positivity, anything to get us through our day, our week, our lives. The mic is yours. Hold on. Okay, well, first of all, I want to welcome the unicorn because you guys are badasses. I don't know if I can (laughs) say that live, but there you go. Um, but you know, amazing. I'm extremely proud of you both, um, for doing what you do, just, you know, having fun and bringing the word and sharing information. Amazing. And I really want to underscore, let them lead. I think you, you, your generation should really just, you know, I think you should let your voices be heard. Um, during the election, I saw that you were counted and now they know that they can't count you out because once you're counted, you are in. And so push the agendas that are first and foremost. And so the inspiration that I have is continue to be you because your strongest advocate, your strongest cheerleader lies within you. I know you have other heroes and I know I mentioned my parents as, you know, my mom as one, but I think that, you know, you have the answers. You just have to actually put it into action. So continue to do what you do because your light is shining bright and we are following. Thank you, Dr. Bashir, for that positive note. Thank you so much. That was amazing. <laughs> and we also want to take this moment to thank you, not only for coming on here, sharing information and talking to us and our listeners, but also the work that you do every single day. Um, we truly appreciate you. You know, we, we hear every single day how representation matters, and we wanted to just highlight you and your knowledge and your wisdom um, and just say thank you so much for everything that you're doing. Right. Thank you. So thank you, everybody. It's been another Monster Pod with Dr. Bash, and we appreciate her coming through and giving us this knowledge. Um, If you haven't already, check out our website, wolfandunicorn.co. There is a new donate button. We are trying to raise some funds for some projects we would love to get out. So if you can, 
you know, support the show if you can. If not, you know, listening and, and, and subscribing and sharing is well enough. We just trying to raise some extra dough here. You know, we got a lot of things going on, <laughs> trying to pay for some things, you know. <laughs> so check that out. Also check out, our, also check out our Facebook group. Um, a lot of good conversation going on in there. We'd love to hear from you. So it's facebook.com slash groups, Wolf and Unicorn. So look us up automatic ad just let us know you know looking for more people to you know add to the conversation and different points of view so we can learn from you guys as well so you know go check that out we got a lot of good things coming we're also working on some small business social media marketing stuff that is coming very soon as well we're working on that on the side so please guys we got a lot we're working on stay tuned Ooh.